Hello and welcome to Reflex Point, our attempt at a weekly podcast where we review and discuss the series Robotech one episode at a time. We're your hosts, Major Medina. I'm Paul Marquez. And this week, we're watching episode 15, Homecoming. Episode 15 first appeared on American television on March 22nd, 1985, and the synopsis reads, Captain Global and Lisa fly to Alaska, where they find the United Earth Defense Government unexpectedly reluctant to avoid war with the Zentradi. Rick and Minmay visit her parents in Japan and learn about a massive cover-up concerning the SDF-1. And that's about all that happens this episode. <laughs> well, so that the the synopsis kind of, it starts with government conspiracy, and I'm always ready for that. Yes, I'm pro. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and I, I, yeah, this episode um was rough. I've watched this one quite a bit. Um, it's a quick episode, but it doesn't feel quick that's the perfect way to put it <laughs> i consider so. it good practice for when we have to do southern cross you know <laughs> no we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make everybody love southern cross and i you know what i'm right there with you man because you know we're gonna we're gonna mine through it and and find those nuggets of gold in, in southern cross that's right but I, I just found too much pyrite this time, you know? <laughs> um, so we open up with the SDF-1 still floating in the Pacific Ocean. The narrator says the space battle fortress is finally back home on Earth after months of fighting its way back from an accident that placed it in orbit around the planet Pluto. The way you emphasized accident makes me believe you thought exactly what I thought. Was it an accident? <laughs> I was like, uh, again, JJ, just watch the episode and then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and again, it's our job to put this under a microscope. Maybe we're putting too much thought into it. Sure. But accident, I don't think, quite accurately uh, describes it. it. It doesn't, but I guess it succinctly describes it, and that's good enough, right? We'll go with that, because... <laughs> so... Global and uh, Lisa are boarding a military aircraft to head to the headquarters of the United Earth government. So they, they have to convince the governing council of the urgent need for a truce in an undeclared war between the Zentradi forces and the people of Earth. So here, here's my first kind of thought on this. I think it's pretty amazing that they put this in the storyline that they are trying to just seek a truce instead of everybody just going to war, just going straight to war. And let's go try to convince people to do that. And I don't, I don't think that happens a lot. Yeah, yeah. And let's see. It also the the, the narration says their classified mission, right? Yes. And that is a little bit funny to me too, because a mission is something assigned to you, right? You know, you get your mission and you follow out your orders. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the, the, this mission couldn't have come from the United Earth government, who who at this point I have to believe is is governing over the SDF one. So, so who gave them this mission? Is this a self-imposed mission of trying to, you know, tell the council this is something we better not engage in? You know, Lisa is taking this on as she was a couple episodes ago where she was like, we got to do everything we can to make sure we don't go to war with these people. Right. Uh, and she's kind but, of following through with that. But are, are you on a mission without orders is what I'm saying. Mm. 
Okay, so Lisa's the one that puts together the report, right? Yeah, yeah. So I would say it this way. Lisa goes back and tells Global everything that's going on. Her opinion is that we should try to seek a truth, and then Global gives her the mission to to try to convince him and takes her along. Okay. So maybe Lisa's on the mission. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm, yeah, I like that. Because he, he has the authority to put her on a mission, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So they launch off the data list, and they're accompanied by um, two fighters. One of the fighters rises up to screen, and the wording on the side of the cockpit reads sex. Not ambiguously, not in that way uh, that it does in the clouds and the Lion King. It just reads S-E-X and then some kind of symbol off to the side of it that kind of looks like a, a the, the logo Prince used to use. Okay, I, I missed that. So was it like where the where pilots would have their name? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and it was it was written a lot bigger. You know, it wasn't it wasn't that little typeset. You know, maybe that, that that like aerial font that they usually use. It's it's like it was just painted on there. Now the other <laughs> the other weird part about this is uh, this pilot has a co-pilot, and it's a woman without a helmet on, without a flight helmet on. And she's not in uniform. It, it kind of looks like, I would guess that she's wearing a dress. Um, and it looks like Sammy. because uh, has kind of like orangish red hair. Uh, and we find out later, obviously, that it's not Sammy. But uh, she's also stare, staring down the barrel of the, of the camera. She's like, you know, she's just faced right at the camera with a big smile on her face. That's a, such, a, such a weird thing. Is, is this somebody's assistant? Is this, you know, one of the... United Earth Council's assistance. Why would she be on the ship? Well, no, no, they wouldn't have brought her to the ship. Anyway, the point being, real weird. Plane says sex, and there's a woman in the in the co-pilot seat. Okay, wait, wait. So, so it's it's, it's one of the accompanying Veritex, or it's the the plane yes. that, that. Okay, so it is a Veritex, right? It is. Okay, and so it's got to be a VF one D because those are the only ones with a co-pilot seat, and. Um, Maybe because it's my understanding that Roy was a real ladies man, right? So maybe that was his old training plane, and that's why it's sex on it. And <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> there's part of me that thought this is kind of a pilot joke, and it's a blow up doll in the back. <laughs> <laughs> that would be perfect. Because <laughs> I can't explain why she's back there anyway. Yeah, and you wouldn't really expect someone to be on a training mission, um, you know, accompanying, like, the admiral, or the, I'm sorry, the captain. No, especially not on some secret mission to some secret base that everybody seems to know about. Yeah, it's, it's probably some animation they used, you know, they had, and they were like, okay, yeah, throw that in there. But, but, <laughs> that but, looks good. But wait, there's a, pilot, a co-pilot, who cares, just put it in there, they're not going to notice. It's not <laughs> it's like they're going to do a podcast about this or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so back on the bridge, Vanessa, Sammy, and Kim um, are watching Glovo and Lisa fly away. Oh, Claudia's there too. And uh, the girls lament not getting off the ship. And Claudia says, Alaska is cold this time of year. Right. So the, U- the UEG, the United Earth Government Headquarters, is in Alaska. I like that. I think that's pretty cool. You know, you want to put yeah. a, a base somewhere where no one's going to really want to go. Right, right. It, but. Why did Claudia and the girls know where the secret United Earth Government facility is? <laughs> well, maybe it's just one of those things where you know. Is, is its geographic location known, just not the specific? 
something like like Groom Lake, you know, something to that effect. Okay, yeah. <laughs> All right, so then uh, enter Colonel Maestroff, who hits his head while entering the bridge. Okay, one thing that I before you know before uh, Maestroff comes in, mm-hmm. we um, Sammy mentions she w- uh, wishes she could have gone right. Yes, Claudia tells her that Alaska's cold, and they should be glad they can stay here where it's warm. And I like how Sammy because remember the one time when. Claudia turned around and she was like, why don't you ask the Zentradi, you know, because they were like something about getting to Earth. And she was right. like, well, why don't you ask this? And she kind of snapped at them. I like how Sammy <laughs> snapped back, sort of, to me she did on this one, where she's like, so what? You know, and then and they agree that they'd rather be off the ship. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the one thing I would be dying to do at this point is just get off the ship. And if it meant going to Alaska, well, fine. We were in the deep, cold reaches of space. Alaska seems like a, a pretty good alternative. Right. Alaska seems like the Bahamas at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And I love in the book, they, they refer to Kim, Vanessa, and Sammy as the terrible trio. Um, and it it kind of shows in this one because they, you know, it, Sammy's the one that rebuts, but they all kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I've got to agree with that. Like, um, you know, Claudia, as any command would do, is trying to hold it together. Mm-hmm. Morale? is a finite resource, you know? Right. And command has to understand that you run out of it eventually. And we, I think we see here that even amongst the varsity bridge crew, it's starting to run out. Yeah, it, it would have to be. You, you got to get away from it every so often. Which, you know, it makes me think, would you feel like you were really getting away by going into a simulation of a city inside the ship? No, not... not from you know from what we've shown macross to be yeah i think at every corner you'd you'd remember we're on a ship you know yeah 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 i think like the 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 feeling would wear off pretty quickly of like oh my gosh it's like it's just like being back home even with the fake uh sky above us right and, and you can only go so far you know <laughs> yeah yeah and even though it might be far you know like like you're not crowded but in a sense it would start you know even seventy thousand people the same ones you see over and over and over it'd start to get a little rough i think yeah yeah it it would be like uh you can go outside but you can only go down main street exactly so enter colonel maestroff who hits his head while entering the bridge what is this is this (laughs) <laughs> is the door too small? <laughs> are Glovel and Maestroff just too tall? What? <laughs> I don't get me wrong. I like it. I think it's a funny joke. Most like like battleships don't they have those little corridors that that are low like that? I suppose so. I I, I suppose so. I've never I've never been on one though. I, I okay. Let's we 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 have a couple of listeners who are in the military. Anybody in the Navy uh, can give us an idea of, of, you know, the size of the doors in a ship? Well, well okay. I, I got to board a World War II submarine one time, and um, it was, to get through one section to another, you had to step over one thing and duck under something else, like, you know, in the same little door. Yeah, okay. And so, you know, maybe it's, it, it is military blueprints that have for small doors, but you'd figure they'd be used to that by now. So so, the, so, <laughs> right. the, so this door has to be unusually small. Yeah, the, the door to the bridge, because no other door seems that way. 
I don't, I don't know. How tall is Lang? Because maybe Lang is a short dude, you know? So. <laughs> well, he's a scientist, right? Isn't he supposed to be uh, small and nebbish? I think so. Isn't that the trope? <laughs> Instead, he looks confident and badass because of those eyes. Right, right. But it's only men that ever hit their head. So, yeah, I think, I don't know. I think it's just one of those comedy uh, parts that they put in to say, you know, I... Command bang, likes to bang its head a lot. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, doing this podcast, I don't know if this is happening to you, but uh, so, <laughs> so I was watching a movie yesterday, and I just kept kind of tearing it apart like this. Was it a movie you watched before? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was watching Killer Clowns from Outer Space. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good Lord. Let me say this. Holds up, buddy. That's a good movie. Like, it's a good, bad movie, but it's also just kind of a good movie. Yeah, I, I get it. I get what you're saying. Some of, some of those good, bad movies, so to speak, are are real gems. Yeah. Could, couldn't get into the Killer Clowns one. You saw it too late. You must have been too old. Or or perhaps too too young, because I, I clowns already, you know, no, thank you. Well, that was kind of the thing, is I, I, I saw this when I was really young. Like I should not have been watching this on HBO, so it wasn't even like the the <laughs> the USA Up All Night edited versions. And so I saw it early, and it wasn't until years and years later that I watched it again and went like, "Oh, this is a comedy. This is because this scared the hell out of me as a kid." Got it right? You're like, "Oh, but, oh, this was funny." Yeah, I also thought Gremlins, when I saw it in the comedy section at Blockbuster, I was like, are you people mad? A kid might pick this up. This is Gremlins. It's what, terrifying. What fuckery is this? <laughs> Why is this in comedy? Oh, boy. Okay. Well, okay, so I wanted to ask that. Do you find yourself doing that with movies? Uh, only the ones, yes, that I've watched um, before, you know. And he, mm-hmm. uh, I've recently gotten into Nightfall, the the Netflix series. You know, well, I'm not familiar. No, okay. it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And it's I had heard about it, had been meaning to watch it. Finally, got around to it, and I'm not that you know I'm just into it, so I'm not even dissecting it at all. But you know, the other day on USA, Rambo came, Rambo three to be exact, came on, <laughs> and I picked that thing apart like you couldn't believe. <laughs> While we were talking, I just thought of something. Okay, so we know Maestroff comes onto the bridge and he gives his big, you know, we're going to write, I'm going to run a tight ship, no more slipping the rules kind of thing. Then we get him pulling out a cigar. If the music had been different and if the reaction of the the girls had been different, this could have seemed like it, kind of like a, a an intimidating moment. But instead it's played for like, oh, look at this guy coming in here. Definitely. And he... um. You know, like, remember, we, he was the one we didn't care for in that meeting, right? Right. And so it, it's starting to show, to, to me anyway, the rest of the people don't really care for him that much either. Yeah, it's, it's kind of what it seems like. And when I looked up Colonel Maestroff for that for that episode where Lisa's, where, where, where the Max, Ben, Rick, and Lisa are giving their report, one of the defining features in the, like, the Robotech wiki for Maestroff is that he loves his cigars. And I think it's all based on this scene <laughs> where he pulls out a cigar. Right, right. I'm like, well, you kind of extrapolated a bit from that. So I kind of like, you know, Claudia, after he hits his head, she 
like when you're trying to be over nice to somebody, you know, and she, she's telling him, sir, recommend you lower your head while entering the bridge, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, it's how he turns around and tells her, thanks for being 30 seconds late. Right. Um, you know, he already knows. I, I think he knows he's not wanted on the bridge and it doesn't appear he wants to be on the bridge, you know? Oh, really? You see, I read it like he's taken great joy in coming on the bridge and, and being the captain. He he seems like a, a, a backseat driver kind of thing. Like, well, I, that's not how I would do it when he's referring to Global. You know, that just seems like the way he would be thinking. And you know how you always kind of have that like, well, my boss is an idiot and I could do a better job. <laughs> maybe maybe I got to cut that part out. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know how in I mean, the not past, my current in your, boss. In your past jobs, right? <laughs> right. Okay, yeah, of course. But... Also, too, with those, yeah, you know, if you think you can be, do it better than your boss, but you don't want to do your boss's job without your boss's pay, and you know that once your boss comes back anyway, I mean, you're just you're just you're just holding it down because oh, it's going to go good. back to whatever it was when he's back. So right? Why, why why do you want to put that effort in? You know? Yeah. What do you guys think? Was Maestroff ready to go to take over? Was he hoping uh they pulled a, a Colonel Henry Blake and that his ship was lost over the Atlantic or the Pacific Ocean. You know, all you guys who love MASH. <laughs> I'm, I'm all wet. <laughs> with with as, as critical as Maestroff is, like, I've I, I got to think that he's he doesn't care for Global's command. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't believe he does. And the whole time he's inspecting all the stations, like if, you know, he's going to make some kind of physical change to the bridge. So I think his general jerkdom, jerkdomness is is well established here. Mm-hmm. But I like that he light, he lights a cigar. You know what I mean? If he would have popped out a pipe, I think it would have, I would have been like, what? Come on. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And the girls laugh, and I... You know, they, they laugh at Sammy telling him no no smoking on the bridge. And she quotes the handbook, too. Right. Page two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could believe it's it's no smoking is that early on in the in the standard operating procedure handbook. <laughs> right. Very important. <laughs> but uh, when the girls are laughing after Sammy says no smoking on the bridge... I think they're doing it just because of the parallels of of Global, right? I think I think so too. Yeah, like oh, every captain comes in here, hits his head, and then tries to smoke on this bridge. <laughs> and then Sammy's the first to jump up, and when and when they hear that very similar response, it triggers laughter. Yeah, yeah. Sammy saying it in the first episode versus Sammy saying it now, I I I, I just view Sammy differently. You know, I, I consider her a, a competent um, person who's been through quite a bit. So like, I have a lot more respect for Sammy in, instead of thinking of her as a, you know, the youngest on the, on the bridge crew. I think she was 15 or 16. I agree. I agree. Then the first part doesn't, she, like, she almost jumps, you know, captain. And, and he's like, what? Yeah. Right? And this time she's like, sir, there's no smoking on the bridge. <laughs> My view of, of these people have changed uh, or, or changes over, well, fifteen episodes. Yeah, and it's just it's just little nuances you notice, but it it makes all the difference. Yeah, can can we attribute that to the the voice acting? 
you know, are they are they adding a little something different to it now? Because I do feel like everybody, every character we've seen has matured or evolved. You know, there, there's been an arc in their, in their own personal story. Yeah, yeah, the voice acting and then even, you know, the writers giving them that, that role to act, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. So we cut over to an upper-level flight deck where the civilians in Macross are having a celebration for their return to Earth. And the mayor's giving a speech that they're going to party all week. Uh, yeah, apparently the, the, <laughs> the mayor is a partier because uh, he's ordering a week-long celebration. Oh, come on. You know that mayor gets down. That is Mayor Tommy Luan. That is one funky mayor. <laughs> and so somebody voices a little concern. Is it an assistant, you think, or, or a civilian? I think it's a civilian. Although I feel like we've seen this guy before. Well, to, to just be like, hey, mayor, you know, should we be packing? Oh, that's true. He just seems too close to be just somebody, you know? Yeah. But, you know. Party Town USA Mayor Lu- Tommy Luan tells him, Ah, look, once we leave this ship, we'll probably never see her again, and we deserve a party. Which convinces that guy, right? <laughs> He's like, Yeah, I guess yeah. you're right. Yeah. I don't, I, he, I felt he was half heartedly convinced, but the mayor, when he looks back to say that they may never see it again, I, I actually see genuine sadness, you know, because that. I bet you, you know, had they been allowed to disembark, there would have been a little bit of, of like, longing for that, especially if you were an important person. You know, when you're an important uh, person yeah. and then you don't feel important anymore, it's a bit of a trauma, you know? Yeah, oh, that's true. Let's think about this. Uh, where is Tommy Luan going to go and be mayor again? The island is gone, man. Yeah. His political aspirations are going to have to start from the ground floor. Oh, you've completely turned this around. I completely see why he wants to stay on the ship and party for a week. Hey, let me let me just live the light fantastic one more week. Ring out the last bit of leadership that I got. Yeah. And like if it were me, I would be partying too as a as a civilian, but I would also be ready to get the hell off that ship. Right. But you know, let's just say they had been dis- you know, we're going to a, a an alternate universe, okay? They mm-hmm. They get disembarked from the ship. You know, they all go their separate ways. And so now, these 70,000 people are among the world. You're never, if any, are going to see any of them again. Every so often, you know, they have some kind of uh, telethon or reunion. And people, some people get together and you'll see them shake hands and hug. And they talk about their experience on, you know, the Kathy Griffith show or something <laughs> <laughs> about... How they're you know what they went through in their experience, you know, sure, but it's but it, but they don't ever see each other again, right. You got to imagine a lot of them want to go see their family, you know, oh definitely okay, so so what kind of messaging do you think they got? hey, we're we're back home. We're on the ship. Everybody sit tight for a little while. We're gonna go figure out um what we're gonna do and how you're gonna be relocated. Do you think they're given that that amount of information? Because they all seem pretty relaxed, like they've been told something that satiated them for the moment, and, and not everybody, not 70,000 people rising up and going like, I will swim to land if you don't let me off this ship. <laughs> um, you know, dude, no, no. I think they, the, the feeling I get is they really haven't been told anything, and they're starting to kind of assume that they're just going to be let off the ship, you know? 
and they, they, they start the celebration and I, maybe even, you know, people like the mayor are like, okay, we've been here a little while, but, but no, don't worry. Don't worry. We're just, it's just one of those things, you know, I, they have to have been told something because somebody would have asked at some point, Hey, when can we get off? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't. And I think that's what makes it worse. I think that the growing anticipation of, of being like, we're going to be off soon. It's been three days, four days, five days. We, we're going to be, you know, is what's making global so anxious. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> sorry. I was just laughing at the idea that, that there's 70,000 people. So there has to be one guy who just happened to be on the island for something, for some kind of delivery for the, for the celebration and all that. So he has no family there. He doesn't know Macross Island uh, from a hole in the ground. He shows up, and this dude, in the entire time that the the ship has been in space, has made zero friends. In fact, everybody kind of dislikes him. He's just kind of some antisocial guy. So- okay, I, I know which guy he was. He was that guy with the skull and crossbone <laughs> jacket. You remember what I'm talking <laughs> yeah, about? Yeah, <laughs> like, did he have a mohawk, or am I making that up? I, I think he had a blonde, blonde long hair, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was going to say, in my head, he looks like a, a Bebop from... <laughs> <laughs> but- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? <laughs> right, right. But, but yeah, that guy. That guy's just like, hey, I got to get off this ship. Everybody hates me. <laughs> you know what I would be doing just to go on a little flight of fancy here I'd be trying to fish off the side of the ship right to have some fresh food you know because they've been eating rations and who knows what kind of food it was but I want I want something fresh and something I caught let's just let's try to fish and catch something or throw a net down or something All right get us some bluefin up here yeah I hear you. I'd be doing the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) This is so funny because we're like, we're basically saying like, we're anti-party right now, which is not Paul and I at all. Right. (laughs) We would probably be drunk and going like, this is great. Let's do this for another week before we get back to real life. Yeah. Especially if the the adult beverages were free. Right. And, And it has to be, there's no... We we've asked the question before, but what are we what are we doing for money here? Is it just a communist society? So sorry for the inconvenience of sending <laughs> you to space. Have a peanut. <laughs> Have a peanut. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a bit of my cat a, a bit of a catchphrase for me in my life. Have a peanut. Huh? Yeah. All right, so the spies, we switch over to the spies who are drinking punch, right? Yes. And uh, Conda gives Braun some and says uh, he's getting charged up. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you? Now, there's two things, though. Could it be that he's being charged up by a, by a large intake of sugar, you know, or is it alcohol? Uh, okay, original Japanese version, while this scene is playing, um, it's not so tight in on Conda and, and uh, Braun. And you see a, a a beer tent behind them. So they're drinking punch, but there's a beer tent behind them. So I am assuming that it is alcohol. But the way it's described, you know, it, it's punch. I don't know. The Zentradi don't seem like they have a lot of sweets. I don't know. In my opinion, it's booze. What do you think? I think so, too. And the only reason that I think is after Braun drinks it, he, he, he seems to flush. You know? Uh, yeah. And so that, that warm... <laughs> feeling you get from alcohol um 
I, I don't, as, as charged up as sugary punch might make you, I don't think it makes your face flush. There, you know, there's a, a long-standing um, inside joke of spiked punch, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're getting here, is spiked punch. Yeah, they used some of that uh, Jet A, filtered it through some pieces, some loaves of bread, and then threw it in the punch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So yeah, in in my head, Canyon, it's booze, one hundred percent. They just couldn't say it, right? Because with all the things that go on in this show, uh, them drinking alcohol was just a bridge too far. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, Rico wants them to make noise, right? He comes up to to Conda and Braun and tells them, "What are you guys doing? Let's make some noise and blend in." Yeah, and then he yells, "Yay! We finally made it back. We're home again." Um. So is he speaking English at that point? Yeah, he has to yeah. be. My, I, I gotta imagine. I would. I. I, I want to hear from the perspective of of somebody on that ship that that wasn't one of the spies. Uh, I want to hear what their accent is. Right. Yeah. Because uh, he's either saying it phonetically, or you know, I did. The, I know they did a little bit of uh, human recon, and obviously they figured out how to translate. Just learning a whole new language in the time of them volunteering to be spies to them being on the ship, not a lot of time to learn a new language. And at the very least, adjust for for um, accent, you know? You're going to have an accent. <laughs> right. And you're right. That'd be neat to hear what it was. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want it to be Southern. <laughs> <laughs> I want a big, thick English accent where you know how they're speaking English, but you still need subtitles. <laughs> okay, like Michael Bisbing, where he comes out there and he tries to tell you about his fight, and you're like, "What the fuck did this guy just say?" <laughs> it always cracks me up. Subtitles in English for English. Oh yeah, yeah. I get. Yep, <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> cut to Claudia going to visit Roy. Is this the first time we hear or understand that they are engaged? I believe you're right, sir. I didn't know they were engaged. I, I didn't either. It didn't seem like that from the first episode. You know, they had just gone out to party the night before uh, the, the launch of the SDF-1. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, my fiance. Right. So, so, Or, you know, at some point, like, you know, like it's making you imagine that they weren't at that time, but through all this, what they've gone through now, you know, somewhere in the middle, they got engaged. Oh, wow. Wow. And and I think that makes this, oh, you know what? Okay. So, so I was going to say the reason I noticed him saying fiance is, you know, the narrator is telling us that their relationship has been strained uh, because of their duties. And she was hoping to have time to rekindle their, their romance. So going off of that, which, by the way, made me super sad. You know, it's a very realistic thing that these two people living on the same ship who are engaged are working so hard and and trying to protect everyone on the ship so much so that it's at the cost of their relationship. Like, it, I got to be honest, bum me out. Yeah. Bum me out. Yeah, with, with the constant attacks and just everything, who could have a relationship at this point, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, kind of going off of what you're saying, maybe in the middle of this, 
Roy did propose as as a way of to like rekindle their relationship or or to at least say like hey I know we're we're kind of distant we got a lot of duties going on right now but I am devoted to you right you're my number one right right ah you know I love these guys' relationship I sure hope it works out for them <laughs> <laughs> I think it will it'll be fine. <laughs> So Claudia finds Roy. Why are sleeping. we watching this? <laughs> it's bumming me out. Man. Claudia, Claudia finds Roy sleeping and he's crashed out, right? Yep. She gets mildly upset. She's like, all he can do is sleep, which totally understandable. Right. Okay, but she turns to leave because I think she understands how exhausted, you know, and if she's exhausted aboard that bridge, she's only she's, she sees what the, the pilots are going through, you know, the actual fighters. Right. So she turns to leave, but Roy, with his super pilot senses, <laughs> do you think that he was kind of seeing what she was going to do or, or even let her get a little? Huffy? Yeah. Hmm. I think he did. I think he faked it a little bit to say, to, just, to, just to get that angst a little bit there, you know? Right, right. That's a, that's a good point. It, yeah, you're right. Uh, pilot senses. He would have he heard the door open. You don't become an Ace Veritech fighter pilot by not being able to wake up when a door comes, you know, opens and someone walks into your room. Right, right. So you're not going to talk about the topless woman picture? By the way, there was a poster, right? <laughs> and there were boobies. <laughs> Two of them. Then that added to my, like, whoa, this is your fiancé walking in. Maybe we should go ahead and... If you're engaged, let's go ahead and take down the picture of the naked lady who hangs next to your bed. You're right. I can't believe that's. I thought I put that in my notes. What the hell is that? <laughs> it's funny because he started going off on it. I'm like, it's just she walks up and she sees it sleeping. And I'm like, really? That's the first thing you noticed? <laughs> you're right. Because she, she's got her arms like behind her head, right? Yeah. To get a just just to ensure the best bust shot you can possibly imagine. You know, Roy has this persona, you know, and probably some pilot had this thing, you know, and was like, dude, you know, who'd enjoy this? Gave it to Roy. And then Roy, as a, you know, to, to, to solidify that persona, puts it up in his room, you know? Sure, sure. One of uh, Skull Squadron is like, oh, man. My commander would love this. Yes, yes. And especially if it's of someone like that he does like. Like um, one of my childhood crushes that, that you know, you're just never going to get over is uh-huh. Phoebe Cates. You know? Yes. And if I had a poster, you know, not even as revealing as that one, uh, Gremlins or something like that, like I'd have that bad boy up, you know? But, you know, I mean, that's not my persona, though. You know, like my, I'm not going to have right. a half-naked chick on my wall because – there's no way my wife would go for that, you know? And I don't want to put her through that. Right. And it would be disrespectful. Yeah. But, but you know, in my in my single days, even if I have a girlfriend and I'm living up to this persona people have of me, mm-hmm. there might be a poster of some boobies on my room, in my room. All right. Here, here's what I think. I think Captain Kramer put it up in Roy's room as a joke. And Roy just hasn't put it down. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Uh, right. <laughs> and then, you know, it might even be signed by all of Skull Squadron, you know? Oh, yes. 
Yes, or, or like a fake signature, you know. Roy, thanks for last night, XOXO. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and he walks in and he looks up at it, shakes his head and laughs, and then leaves it right there. Right. So the fact that they are engaged lessens for me the smack on the butt. Is that when she wake, or when he when he jumps up? Is that the first thing he does? Yeah. So so uh, Claudia turns away to let him sleep, and then he smacks her on the butt like, "Hey, where are you going?" I thought he grabbed her wrist, but no, it's it's a butt smack. Oh, it's a butt smack. Now. Okay. Well, hey, sometimes you got to smack a butt, you know. I, I, and you're right. You're right. You know, it's a lot more appropriate for an engaged party than it's not. Like, cause when I saw it initially, I was like, "Hey, what the hell? What's going on here?" But they have that kind of relation. They have a close relationship, and the dude has a picture of a half-naked woman on his wall. She seems pretty accepting of quite a few things here. But okay, but you know, you already know she is. To be with Roy Foker, you, you kind of have to be. Yeah, yeah. You're you're with the you're with the lore and the legend. Yeah, and, and he lives up to the fucking part, apparently. <laughs> so it, uh, so Roy grabs her. Where are you going? Are you going to run off so soon? Something something to that effect, right? Yeah. And then Claudia appears to get pulled down. Yes. Um, you know, she, she showed up at the door hoping to rekindle the romance. And, and while this may not be the most of romantic thing, I, I think it's as romantic as Roy's going to get. Yeah, there's, and there's some kindling going on for sure. Right, right. Um, but was it clear that they were kind of like committed to each other and dating or? Well, so the, the very first introduction we get is when Lisa's saying, you had a late night with Commander Foker, right? And she's like, you jealous? Like that gives us the, 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 the first building block of that there's something going on with them. Do we hear anything else after that? I don't think we do. So somewhere inside all of this is a side story of the developing relationship between them. It's either that or Claudia knows his reputation and and has kind of agreed like, oh yeah, keep your keep your reputation. And besides, I don't want people knowing our business anyway. Well, I don't know. <laughs> the whole bridge crew doesn't seem to be bothered at all by people <laughs> knowing their business. That's true. So I'm not sure that's it, but you know, Maybe in a later episode, I think we'll get a storyline of, of some development because if I remember correctly later on, you know, Claudia relates a story and we'll, we'll be able to decipher what timeline that was so that by the time we get to the point where she's explaining something to Lisa, I, I think we have a better idea of where they stand. Excellent. Excellent. You're right. And we will do that sometime in the future. We'll get there when we get there, people. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, after we lost the Petite Cola sponsorship, uh, it's been hard to do this <laughs> show uh, on, a, on a tight timeline. Hey, well, um, well, there's still talks with um, Variation Coffee, so yeah, not, yeah, all, not all hope is lost. But uh, anyhow. <laughs> Maybe we could speak to our good friend Rebecca again and see, uh, see if she can help us with a little bit of pull. <laughs> All right, so jumping, jumping over um, a flight crewman, right, is telling Rick uh, that he is lucky to be leaving the ship and spending time with a celebrity. Yeah, yeah. 
And then he even goes on to say that he's been the only, or, or she, right? She's the only one that's been allowed to leave the ship. That's crazy to me. Yes. Who authorized it? Yes. Uh, it had to be a Minmay fan for damn sure. Well, it, it, seriously, again, like if I'm one of the other 70,000 survivors, I would be pissed that she's getting like this preferential treatment because they've all gathered to see her off. Right. So they know she's leaving. Yeah. She's not like sent out the back door to get out of there. Yeah. There, there's a, yeah. there's a whole production about her leaving. That should have been a riot is what it should have been. Yeah. It should have, <laughs> it should have been them taking down the aristocracy, you know, nah, <laughs> you're not nah. leaving. We're going to rip this fan liner apart bit by bit. And, but you know, let's just say that you're, you're someone who can make these decisions. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you're a big Minmay fan. For whatever reason, she is your. She's just someone you you are completely smitten by. She's your Phoebe Cates. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, for me, it's not Phoebe Cates actually, but Phoebe Cates is up there. Um, and then you get a chance to meet her, you know. Mm-hmm. And your producer tells you know, or I'm sorry, her producer is telling her, "Look, this dude's your chance to get off this ship. So put on the charm." And let you know. Let's hope for the best, you know. And so you and you're like, oh my god, I'm gonna meet Minmay. And then she gets there, and she's like, he 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 hi, and you know all all the right persuasions a woman can do. Are you really denying it? Okay. Y- y- no. <laughs> okay. Thank you. But thank you. L- Good night, everybody. Me- we're stopping tonight. Right there. We're stopping. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but here's, I believe that Global's the only one who could have given authorization for someone to leave the ship. I just don't believe he's that fanboy of Minmay. Yeah. Um, Okay, so what if this, what if some producer, you know, or somebody who worked close with Minmay also had a way to communicate with his company, his business, whatever on earth. And so they also went there and said, look, you know, we get what's going on here. We want to be nice. We're trying to play nice. She wants off, you know, stars get what they want. And um, if you don't let her off, we're going to radio in. We're going to, we're going to talk to somebody. Just all we're asking is her. That's it. To go see her family. How could you possibly deny that? What kind of human being would you be? If you didn't let this poor, what is she, 16, 17 right now? She's 16. 16, you know, star that has done so much for the SDF-1. Go see her family. Yeah, yeah. So so do we think Global knows about it? He has to. Okay, yeah. And and I would have to agree with Colonel Maestroff if Global didn't know about it. (laughs) Right, right. Like, oh, no, you need to run a tighter ship. No more slipping the rules. And it, and it had to go through Global, but, I, but see, I think Global authorized the request for it sure. because, you know, somewhere along the line, United Earth government had to say, okay, too, or they're going to shoot that son of a bitch right out of the, the, the sky. Right. Oh, that's true. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't for a second believe that if the, the, the civilians try to disembark, that the, the United Earth government wouldn't sink them. Yeah. Yeah, they would boil the sea if they had to. <laughs> and apparently they have the power to do it. 
So, I, I, I think I think some 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 greasing took place behind the scenes that allowed. I mean, it, that's the only reason. That's the only way I think it went down. Okay, that's a great way of explaining it. But in real um, in real life, I don't think anyone gets off the ship. Right, right. So we see uh, Minmay being driven through the crowd, saying, "I suppose these mobs are part of the price one must pay for fame." And, and then we immediately cut over to Rick, who's wondering if she's changed much. Right, right. And, and doesn't she sound a little bit like what is the word pet, petulant? Is that? Yeah, yeah. It's she's really embraced this fame thing. Yeah, but and it, but it's changed her. It's made her different. As it would anyone. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I don't fault her for it, and I I like that they show it. You know, and they, and they were able to do it with just a couple of sentences, and and this scene really. Yeah, and the, the price, you know, fame fame is nothing but glory, you know? You, you know? The words could be interchangeable, and there's always a price for glory. Yeah. Rick, like, so like you said, Rick's, then it, it, it pans out to where Rick reflects uh, if she's changed much, right? Now, so are they not seeing each other? I thought we had established some relationship before, and now he's wondered if she's changed. Like, how long has it been since the last time they saw each other? So it sounds like the last time they saw each other was the vid screen in the park where she was saying she she can't make it because she's busy. Does that sound right? No, well, yeah. I mean, as far as, as, as episodes go, yeah. That, that's so how, But how much time is that? You know, to say, like, I wonder if she's changed much. That means you have not talked to this person. I mean... That almost even implies, like, you say that about an ex that you're, that right. you're seeing again, you know? Or not seeing again, but that, that you, you find and you're like, oh, hmm, wonder if she's changed much. You're blowing my mind here. Especially since he's chastising her later on for, uh, you know, for wondering if everything's changed at uh, in Yokohama. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, it's only been a year. Wow, that's interesting. I don't know. I have to give that some thought. Yeah, right, right. So I, I've got to go with the fact, or my opinion, that it's been a while. And I don't think, I think he's kind of been like, oh, you know what? I, I don't think we're a couple. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe her um, blowing him off on that vid screen that one time, and he's just kind of being, uh, uh, he was just like, you know what? I'm not going to reach out to her. She can reach out to me. Yeah, you get to that point sometimes, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, if she wants to see me, she'll she'll let me know. Wow, that's a good point. So they haven't seen each other in. It doesn't matter the amount of time because the number of things that are happening with Min May. I think warrant him wondering if she's changed. Yeah. Huh. Not unlike ourselves, you know, since we started this podcast. Oh, dude! I used to be a man of the people. You should see, I have more scarves on my neck right now than Johnny Depp. <laughs> <laughs> You've succumbed to the neckerchief? People change, Paul. People change. Okay? Hey, just remember, with great power comes great responsibility, okay? <laughs> so this is where we find out that uh, Rick is taking her to see her parents. And, you know, you get Min May's, I'm assuming, manager telling Rick to take care of her, and she must get back to the ship on time. 
so they (laughs) they take off and rick says out loud i've forgotten how i felt for her and minmay says what you know kind of kind of letting us know oh that was internal dialogue that he said out loud and Rick says, oh, nothing, and does a, a fast maneuver to deflect from that conversation. Which was perfect. He gro- he gooses the throttle so that it pushes her back. <laughs> perfect. Boy, I wish I could get out of conversations that way. Right? <laughs> Especially at work. Vroom! Uh, it's so funny that he says that out loud. It, it might be that he feels like he's comfortable inside a you know a fan liner or piloting. And that's the one that Min Me won, right? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so that's the Lexus of fan jets, right? Right. Right. So he feels comfortable because he's piloting. He forgets that somebody else is in the is in the cockpit. Says something out loud because he's pretty used to just saying stuff out loud in there. <laughs> right. So then the the plane carrying Global and Lisa approaches the secret military headquarters, and the narrator tells us that most of it's built underground in the event of an alien attack. Um, all that's above ground is an observation tower and a flight deck. And then the plane lands, right? I don't remember. Does the plane land VTOL? It does. Gotta have that VTOL, man. The wings flip up and it just settles down and then uh, descends oh, so down. Oh, so it's more, it's more like an Osprey kind of thing? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, the entire deck starts going under underground. Uh, I think the narrator tells us after after the plane's been verified... And you get a you get a taste of how big this damn place is, right? Right. But this whole plane sinks into a cavernous hole that that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. That that makes me feel better about everybody knowing that the secret base is in Alaska, but good luck finding it. Right? Once once you find the border of it, you're gonna get shot at. <laughs> so, right. so don't right. even try. <laughs> but should you try, all you're gonna see is a is a building. Right. And you're going to be this can't be it. This base is supposed to be huge. So then, uh, boy, this was that was a quick scene. Yes, because then we jump to Rick. Right. And I like this because he's doing stunt maneuvers. You know, he's back at the circus. I didn't think about this. You're right. He's in a fan liner again. That's great. Now, I doubt that it has that nitrous system that he had in the other one that allowed for a booster climb. <laughs> but it's still got to be pretty cool, right? Yeah. Plus, much safer. <laughs> <laughs> this one comes with airbags, I'm sure. Yeah. So then we have uh, Max and Ben appear in Veritex, um, really just to tell him, have a nice date. Yep. Some ball busting. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good on him. It's a that's a good use of the uh, military's resources. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we only hear Ben. I don't, I don't, we get no Max in this episode. Max is probably like, "What are we doing here? Let's, there's people to go kill. Let's go back." <laughs> so I love it that that you know they say have a nice date and they they bug out, but then uh, <laughs> Minmay says Max and Ben are silly, but it does kind of feel like a date. <laughs> What I love is Rick's response. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> what else are you going to say? So Min Mei is uh, glad to be away, but says that she'll have a lot to, uh, to do when she gets back. Uh, then she informs us that she's uh, got a TV show, a play, and even a movie. Then she tells him she could speak to the director 
uh, director and uh, maybe get him a small part in the movie. I love that Rick says maybe some other time. Like, no, that's not my world. That's your world. And I don't care for it. It's it's just not something that that uh, appeals to me. I wouldn't. Really? Yeah. I, I, I don't. I wouldn't be. I guess what would the only one? Like, it has to be okay. If I had a buddy who was a UFC fighter, let's say, right, and he uh-huh. wanted me to be part of his entourage that hold held his sign that's like I'm gonna kick your ass or something like that. Sure. That might be kind of cool, you know, because that's something I get. But right. if you know, if I'm if I'm gonna be in some movie part, I I, I don't know. I, I I don't think like Rick, I'd decline it. So the fact that Rick is like, nah, that's that's cool, and 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 the interest or the intrigue to him isn't so much. Oh, cool! I get to be on a movie set. It's I get to spend time with Minmay, and he says maybe some other time. So I'm just a. Just like extrapolating from this, yeah, he's not liking what he's seeing, you know. After wondering if she's changed, and then seeing the adoring crowds, and then hearing what she has to say, it's like, yeah, no, that's not how I want to spend time with you, right? Because you got to imagine that maybe they've done something like this already, where you know it wasn't a movie or a play or whatever else. But maybe she was like, come to my recording. It's going to be awesome, you know. And he was like, all right. And he went and spent all of five minutes, you know, for the two or three hours that he was there with her. Right, right. With people like wondering, dude, you're in the way. You know, some some producers like, who are you? Who are you? And he's like, I'm just, you know, I'm I'm the friend. Okay, well, friend, can you stand over there? Because you're in the way. Because, okay, uh, yeah. Imagine you got your crush, your high school crush, right? And you're in high school. And she tells you to come to her church to see a performance. And you are not a church-going person, right? Right, right. You'd still go. Yep. And if you got that five minutes, it would be the greatest five minutes. But if things took a turn for the worse... Yeah. And you get invited again, you're not going. Nope. That very scenario was brought to you by Major Medina's (laughs) Young Adult Life. Well, there's a pretty good um, <laughs> parallel to that. <laughs> yes, then we find that uh, Min May is narcoleptic. <laughs> uh, so then back to Lisa and Global in a large tram descending down into the base. And uh, Global asks Lisa if she's heard of the Great Cannon. Great. The Great Cannon, right? Mm-hmm. I thought it was called something else. What do you think it was called? I thought it was called the Grand Canyon. Is that a joke? <laughs> no, 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 not the Grand <laughs> Canyon. The Grand Canyon. Nope. Oh, it's you, not grand. You, it's just great. You, you laugh now, sir. I, I, I guarantee you, someone else says Grand Canyon. Uh, so he explains that it's a robotechnology-based cannon that uses the Earth's gravitational field as its main energy source. Right. So Lisa admits that she's not heard about this thing. Yeah. And that's why he goes into his explanation. So so that's crazy, right? So first off, it, it draws off its energy from the Earth's gravitational field. Right. Right. I, I don't know how you can convert gravitational energy into kinetic energy, but I also know nothing about, <laughs> about physics. So 
does that is this really then a reflex or or robotech weapon because that sounds like it's not using protoculture mm. you know what i'm saying so maybe yeah. maybe through 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 reverse engineering and such they they realized hey you know here's something else we can do um and and they they learned how to make this weapon you know and and even though it might not use you know at this point now it seems like the science is starting to focus on energy sources, you know, protoculture, fusion engines, whatever is piloting or, 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 or powering Veritex. And, and, and now they're saying, you know what? Earth itself could be an a energy um, generator. Okay, fair enough. And, and, and that's the, the point of the robotechnology. You know, if you can convert this flower into energy... Well, then we'll take a, a huge source like gravitational fields and convert that into a, a great cannon. A power source? Yeah. Okay. That's funny. I didn't think too much about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then uh, Lisa, she's like, you mean we could be killed? <laughs> Global. Because <laughs> they're in the barrel. Right, right. The, the shaft yeah, the- they're going down is the barrel of this weapon. And... He's saying it's another six miles. Who knows how long they've been traveling? What yeah, a right. what a barrel! Right. I mean, it's it's they've already been down a while, and it's it's another six miles to go. Right. That's a big ass gun, dude. That's huge. And Lisa says uh, her father used to bring her down there, but she was never allowed to go down the main shaft. So was she just hanging out on the observation deck? Well, I don't. Know. He's just. Brought his daughter down there. Maybe he couldn't get a babysitter. And... Sure. It was just like, hey, we're going on an Alaskan trip. <laughs> so she was like, all right. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, Global explains that Admiral Hayes was the visionary of the complex and pushed for it when no one else thought it was necessary, which Lisa's surprised to hear. And we hear that Global and uh, Lisa's father served together. Yeah. So this, for me, solidifies that there was absolutely no hanky panky between them. I'm right, there Gerard. You. Are you listening? <laughs> Be ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> so then, through a loudspeaker, we hear uh, Global's being told no smoking. Very anti-tobacco show. I'm not sure it's anti. Again, I think it's just one of those "haha, can't do it" kind of thing. Just hitting that same joke over and over again. Milking that bad boy for all it's worth. But this one has a point because Lisa is explaining, or, or Lisa tells Global that uh, whenever he's anxious about something, he, he pulls out his pipe. And it's good insight, you know? She's like, okay, what's wrong? And that probably uneases her a little bit when he goes in into the reason why he's, he's nervous right now. You know, he doesn't think the meeting is going to go good. Right, and he's not—he's right. not sure they're going to be able to convince the council not to go to war. It—it's funny that he's walking in with the higher ups and is already kind of like, "Yeah, this isn't going to go the way I want it to, is it?" Um, they need to have them understand that the ship—that the aliens just want the ship. They don't care about Earth. They're not going to go and attack Earth. Let's just give them—is—is I, I, is Global's proposal that they give them the ship? I don't know. I, it, it it almost sounds it, you know. Yeah. And I wonder if Global is is waiting f- for the day that Zentradi hold the Earth hostage in exchange for the ship. Like it's come, it's coming, you know. Because that would explain a lot. 
it would mean that he's going in there going like, all right, I just proposed that we give him the SDF-1. Yeah, we have a lot of its secrets, but I also had to include that there's a lot of secrets that we don't understand about robotechnology, and we need to hand it over to them in order to avoid a war. There is no way that they're going to agree to this. Yeah. Okay. All right. So then back to Rick and Minmay approaching the island of Japan. Rick wakes up Minmay, um, and he wonders how Minmay's parents will react to seeing her and what they'll think of her uh, celebrity status on the ship. Her new career. Yeah. That's a quick cut. Then back to Glovel and Lisa. Uh, meeting with the military council via Zoom call. <laughs> right. And the head of the council is Lisa's father, Admiral Hayes. Uh, voiced by the director, Robert Barron. He, he, he tells her to report, and she gives the long and detailed story uh, of the SDF-1's adventure. We cut over to the Yokohama boardwalk where Minmay and Rick are walking to her home. Uh, she's overjoyed to be home and uh, goes on about the like the landmarks and the storefronts. And she's got Rick's arm, too. Yeah. I don't know. With somebody who's who you have a crush on and they're comfortable enough to grab your arm and like you read into those sorts of things, but you also realize like, I don't know, maybe that's just this type of person. Right? Maybe they're just this way with everybody. But at the same time, it would make me feel not uncomfortable, but hopeful, I guess. Yeah, definitely. No, you you, you definitely would read something into it, you know? So How you, do you think he's feeling about Lisa at this point? I don't think he's giving her a second thought right now. <laughs> no? No, really. I mean, he's, he's here with her, you know? And I think, uh, I think Lisa's not a thought right now. That's kind of a bummer. Yeah, I, I, I agree. But do you, do you think that somewhere in the back of his mind that he's wondering what she's doing? Mm. No. No. No, and I say that because when they're on that ship and Lisa's telling him to kiss, giving him the command to kiss her, his thought is on Minmay, right? Mm-hmm. And he says that out loud. So I do think if there was any subtext of him thinking about Lisa, it, it would have been a thought or you know some kind of VO or or internal monologue. Okay, so here's how it is in my head. He's kind of cold at the beginning, and he has that kind of like, okay, still yourself, buddy, because you haven't seen her in a little bit, and uh, you know you got these feelings for this other girl. And then the minute they're in the fan liner, he's like, oh, man, I forgot how I felt about her. And not a thought about Lisa from that point forward. God, yeah, yeah, I agree. Again, what a bummer. Yeah. Maybe that's why this episode is rough. So then, you know, after she's showing him all the sights, she starts, she's super excited to be home and she starts to sing and dance and kind of make a little scene, right? Right. And Rick, he kind of like, he notices people are looking and he, and he goes to stop her and she gets mad about it, gets upset, says, uh, she'll sing and dance if she wants. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, whose side you on on this one? I, I, I'm neutral, man. I, I'm neutral because I can see it. You know, I, I, I don't like to draw attention. I just feel uncomfortable with it. So I can see, and it seems to me, Rick is a little bit the same in the sense that he, he doesn't care for uh, attention. Yeah, I think that's what's really bothering him, right? It's not that she's singing and dancing. It's that hey, hey, stop, stop acting like a maniac. People are looking at us. But I gotta tell you, if I. 
I, I'm on Minmay's side. Having been stuck on a ship and smelling the sea air of your hometown again, I wouldn't really care. You know, I, I, I am more of that like, yeah, it's fine. People can look. Yeah, that's why, and, and that's why I um, forgive her for that as well, too, is, is the point. Like, I, like, I get why you're happy. Yeah. And, I, you know, none of these people, I don't know anybody, right? You know, if they want to look, all right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, I mean, unless she's getting super carried away, I don't see that. I don't read into that. Yeah, me neither. Um, so they enter Chinatown. No, but she, Minmei is Japanese, right? I believe so. Okay. Yeah. Could she be Chinese? Living in a Japanese world? That's the name of my uh, autobiography, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I'm doing a little Googling. Her father is Chinese and her mother is Japanese. Okay. Wow. That clears up a lot. Okay. All right. We got it figured out, everybody. You're welcome. Yes. And then we talked about this earlier that Rick is somewhat annoyed that she's acting like she's been gone longer than R- about a year. She a says something about a bakery being in the same place. And he's right. like, dude, it hasn't been that long. I got to imagine she would have been the same way if she had gone home from Macross Island if the attack hadn't happened. So maybe that's what Rick's not taking into account. Okay. How long has she been on Macross Island? True. So even though they've been in space for like a year, she may have been away from Chinatown for much longer than that. Yeah. Yeah. What the hell was she doing there anyway? What the hell was she doing on Macross? Who, what was she running away from? Hmm. Identical restaurants, by the way. She got in trouble with the law. She had to leave, so her, her, her family was like, okay, what are we going to do? Send her to Macross. That's interesting. So they get to Minmay's family's restaurant. Well, hold on, because I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine there's any, like, we sent her away for school. Oh, this is an amazing school. She'll have so much more opportunity than she will in Yokohama. Okay, well, let's say like you're about the franchise. Let's say it is a family-franchised business, right? Yeah. They're running the restaurant in Mac- Macross, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say that, they're, you know, they're like, you know, the, the two brothers are close and they're, you know, Uncle Max is like, hey, we need help. We, uh, can, can you send us Minmi? We, like, we need help at the restaurant. Going, you know, she seems up for adventure. Okay. So she was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And she goes to help her uncle at the restaurant. All right. I like it. So they, they walk up on the Golden Dragon. She greets an employee of the restaurant named Chang, who rushes to get Min Mei's mother, who explains that they thought she had been killed. Mm-hmm. Government conspiracy. Throughout this entire scene, the only person who seems to be truly shocked that Min Mei is still alive is Chang. <laughs> He can't even speak. Like he, you know, when when she announces, you know, she's like, "Do you do you remember me?" He thinks he sees a ghost. Yes, yes. He he has the appropriate response to someone being resurrected. So the mo- <laughs> the, mo- the mom comes in, embra- embraces Minmay. Uh, Minmay says she was taken, but but brought back home. Yeah, she entered. Uh, Minmay introduces Rick as the guy who saved her. 
And her mother goes over, thank you so much. And then we have Min Mei's father come in and just immediately start scolding her for not trying to contact them. Again, everybody seems to be pretty cool about this resurrection. This, uh, this daughter of ours, whom they must have mourned for a year and a half, walks through the doors and they're like, oh yeah, no, that's cool. I'm so glad you're home. That's not entirely true. The mom is crying. Is she crying? Yes. Yeah. Okay. She's good, but, but you're right. But the dad, to me, the dad reminds me of just that gruff guy that doesn't show he cries, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and you've seen it before where even at a funeral, you know, the, the, the dad of, of, of a sibling, or a sibling, I'm sorry, of, of an offspring holds it in. You sure. Know? And inside he's dying, but, but not crying. And so I think at this point, this is, this is where he's at. But you're right. You're right. <laughs> it wouldn't be me. Man, I got to tell you, like, your kid walks through, you've already lost a year with them, you've mourned them for how long? That would be rough. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're right. And there should be some emotional weight. There should be more emotional weight to this scene. Definitely. Especially with the dad. The mom, she gets about 20% there. But Again, Chang Chang out... (laughs) Out emotes her though. Yes, definitely. He he's the only one, like you said, with the hundred percent um <laughs> correct response. Yeah. Guy can't even speak. All right. So the dad. Dad is upset that she didn't try to contact them. I get that part. Like, dude, if you knew, you know, like you tell us, you know? Right. And and, and kind of uh hints at they don't know anything of what happened. Yeah. Like he thinks she's survived the island attack and just didn't reach out. So government conspiracy, we get it, we get an idea that something is amiss here, you know. Speaking of government conspiracy, we head back over to court headquarters. Lisa has just finished her report, and the council immediately goes into saying that they believe that they've overestimated the enemy's strength. Um, right. He tells her it was a very complete report, uh, but does not think the enemy is that strong. Yeah, pointing out that they would have blown up the ship if they had that kind of strength. Yes. Which they say, like, yeah, I know. We explained that in the report. And then goes on to say, do you expect us to accept that report as the truth? Well, yeah, so, I kind of so do. What, yeah, what does he mean? Because <laughs> I'm giving the report. I kind <laughs> of expect it to be taken as the truth. Yeah. <laughs> Was he expecting like Lisa and Clovel to like look at each other and like they're on to us? Jesus! <laughs> we didn't fool anybody. <laughs> um, so that man, what rough words and Glovel, he just looks defeated. And it's just like, okay, whatever. How about the proposed plan to relocate the 70,000 survivors off the ship? Right, because Lisa's dad kind of interjects and stops everything. Uh, Lisa tries to continue, and Global stops her and then asks yeah. about the request. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of Global's shushing of uh, Lisa? Um, yeah, I, I think I, I, don't, I don't fault it. I think that he... He knows that there's there's their minds are made up, and so he's like, okay, well, if forget that part for now, you know. And not to mention, I think he sees Lisa's energy being built up, and he doesn't want her to be like, hey, you bastards, guess what, you know, or, or something to that effect, you know. Right, right. I'm not in love with it, but I also 
I'm not going to fault him for it. Right, right. And you're right. It's not a good thing. Yeah. Might have done the same thing. You know, again, he's got something else in mind or on his mind. And if she says something to really upset them, maybe that um, decreases the chance of getting the civilians off the ship, which he's also worried about that. Yeah, yeah. So great captain keeping those people in mind. Um, but also, you know, the next part. So the council says they'll they'll discuss it at the next regularly scheduled meeting and view screens go off. And then we get a shot of Lisa and she is shaking. Her yeah, arm, yeah. her fists are are clenched and, and whole body shaking. And and the, the, the screens don't just go off. The lines cut. They're they're boom, it's done. Right. You know, right. that that's different. If I'm done with a meeting with you, let's say you know, I'm like, okay, talk to you later, mage. That's ending the call, you know? If right. I'm like, okay, and get that done now, boom, and then I'm off screen, that's being cut, you know? Yeah, yeah. They do it multiple times. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and yeah, you're right. Lisa's shaking. She can't believe how they were treated. Glovel knew this was coming. I, I, I don't know if he just has a, a pessimistic view of the military or if he just... You know, he knows protocol. Like, yeah, their minds are made up. No amount of arguing is going to change this. And like you said, because he knows to some degree that the one card Earth feels they have to play is the ship, and they're not going to give it up. And that's the only way they're going to avoid avoid this war. Yeah. Yeah. So back at the Golden Dragon, Minmay's parents are upset at the fact that Minmay has to leave back to the ship. So she's, you know, explaining, Hey, I'm an important person on that. And she screams that she wants to be a movie star. And, and Mrs. Lynn is telling her that they're depending on her to get married and take over the restaurant. Again, pretty, a pretty quick turnaround to our daughter's dead. Our daughter's resurrected. Now you're disappointing. Right. But just like Gerard says, you know, we, we, we have to allow enough time, the, the time that it needs. Whatever time it needed to get to this point. Sure. This is where they're at. And she's telling them, I'm going back. And they're like, no, you know, like, no. Yeah. And and, and here's something I like. I mean, they ask Rick, or or I think um, Minmay's father asks Rick what he thinks. And then Minmay interrupts saying like, hey, why are you asking him? It's my decision. It's my life. And I'm going back to the ship. You like that? Okay. So I like it in terms of. Her, her father was trying to be manipulative in, okay, well, let's get a consensus around the room. And Minmay's point is, we don't need a consensus. Don't bring other people into this. In fact, I don't even want to hear your opinion. It's my life and I'll do what I want. I like that and I want I want my own daughter to have that kind of feeling and in, in empowerment or agency. But she is 16. <laughs> I thought this showed even more petulance on her part because prior, she tries to enlist Rick's aid. She tries to be the manipulative one when um, she says something. uh, She lists all her upcoming events. uh, And then she goes, isn't that right to Rick? And he just goes, huh? Like, 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 don't bring me into this. You know, like, how did how did I get all of a sudden get on the spot? And then, so when he, when the dad turns that around on her, now it's a problem. And and imagine what that's doing to Rick, you know, because if, the way he probably read it is, oh, you know, like, like she cares what my thought process is. And then in the next breath, 
says, what are you asking <laughs> his opinion for? He doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, all right. So in the first one, when Min is asking his opinion, she's asking him to verify that she has a lot going on and that it's not just her doing a USO show for the troops. Right. And it's important for her to, to leave her family again, which right. I totally get their part. You've got an underage daughter here that just returned from the dead. Yeah. You're not letting her go anywhere. And that's where I understand it from the parents' position. Like, no, you're not going back out into potential danger. We just got you back, which would have been the approach I would have gone for. But the fact that they're going with, you know, um, uh, we need you to take over the restaurant and all that, they're panicking and kind of grasping at straws. Yeah, yeah. Man, it's weird seeing this from the perspective of a parent. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um and, and you know like the one the one thing that's not great is min may like stomping her feet and saying like i want to be a movie star but it, at the same at the same churn like her mom saying like but we need you to take over the restaurant these are not great arguments it sounds like we're later on in the argument where everybody's just kind of going like well what about this and you're not thinking about this they're not making great arguments but i definitely understand no, you're not you're not going back out there and potentially going back on a military ship. That's crazy. So she says that she will not turn her back on coworkers and fans. Enter Lynn Kyle. All right. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> so he's coming cuz you know, he's upstairs studying and he's coming down to see what the racket's all about. What's going on? And he's surprised to see Minmi. Surprised, not as surprised as I think he should be, but surprised. And uh, we find out that uh, Lynn Kyle is her cousin. She goes and hugs him and explains that uh, he's he's been like a brother to her. And apparently he was on Macross, right? Because what it goes on to say is that when he joined the peace movement, he moved away uh, from the base. Right. Uh-huh. So we do find out that Max and Lena are his parents. So he was at the White Dragon, probably working, on Macross, joined the peace movement, became a hippie, grew his hair out, and then decided, well, I shouldn't be so close to all this military stuff uh, because I'm part of the peace movement, man. Yeah, this, this shit ain't groovy. And he's the one who explains that they were told that everything on the island had been destroyed. Right. When he tried to go back, there was no island to go back to. Yeah. And then Minmei tells him that his parents are alive. Everyone is taking this so well. (laughs) He seems a little bit surprised to hear his parents are alive. I don't know. If you've gone through your mourning, too, and, you know, and and then you get different news, like... Maybe you're in shock, you know? No, you're, you're, that's a fair point. Um, shock. Okay. Yeah, like, oh, no, they're alive. Uh, okay, cool. <laughs> I'll process this later. Right, right. I'll deal with this in a second. <laughs> because, again, now you're thinking, I hope this isn't a mistake because I can't go through that again. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very protective, right? Yeah. So she introduces Rick. Uh Kyle's not a fan instantly, but only because of the military. His tone changes when he hears lieutenant. Yes. So back on uh, the 
Earth United Government compound. Hours have passed, and Lisa and Glover are still waiting, which I didn't get. It's not like they were told to just wait there, but apparently they have just been sitting there, right? Um, I mean, maybe they went to go get something to eat, but no, it's. It, I get the impression they've been waiting for a while. Yeah, that, that's rough. That would piss me off. Right? Yeah. So then the council comes back and says they've been going over the report and found most of it to be accurate. No shit. Thank, thanks, guys. Yeah, I'm glad you took that time. Um, and then Global asks about his requests. So the council says the negotiations to end hostilities have been flatly rejected, explaining that they can't trust the Zentradi to act in good faith. Admiral Hayes comes on and explains that they think the Grand can't... The Grand, yes. And he says Grand. You're right. Admiral Hayes explains that they think the Grand Cannon will protect them as long as they start, <laughs> stay alert and prepared. And I, I listened to it a few times. I'm like, am I, am I wrong on this one or not? <laughs> and he says Grand. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I revoke my co-hosting responsibilities. <laughs> I feel I have failed you. Wow, fuck. All right, I even have it written down. You're right. So Admiral Hayes calls it a grand cannon, right? Mm-hmm. So we can just we we can just expect Global got it wrong. Yeah, I mean, after all, it was uh, Admiral Hayes's you know baby. So right. If anyone's gonna know the right name for it, it's him. So then, the probably the most chilling thing, the most chilling phrase comes out. As for the survivors, they've all been declared dead, so they can't leave the ship. Like, whoa, holy shit, right? Yeah, I mean, damn, that's harsh. And they explain that the government put out a story that an anti-unification league attacked and destroyed the island after the SDF-1 left on a test flight. Um, They wanted to hide that they were attacked and at war with aliens, so they can't let out people who know the truth off the ship they can't let 70,000 people who know the truth okay so you you hear that phrase Mm -hmm. and you're global right yes do you go should I tell him I let Minmay out no no you keep that a secret (laughs) you're like oh I had um sorry I lost my thought go ahead (laughs) (laughs) you were saying wouldn't everyone on earth kind of be prepared for this in alien ship lands the earth who is in a global war decides to stop the war and band together to protect themselves from aliens all the resources go into building this sdf1 we have launch day earth was prepared the earth people the civilians were kind of prepared for an attack that's what all their tax dollars were going to i'm sure people ran um, their political careers on that. We're going to put more money into it or we're going to try to put less money into it and get you the resources you need. You know, that sort of thing. And yet the government still set out, you know, did uh, press censorship to keep the uh, the people of Earth from knowing that they'd been attacked by aliens. Like, I would figure in that case, they were more prepared than then let's say we are at this point. 
it doesn't seem like it would have been hard to tell people, hey, remember all this effort we were putting into? Well, here's where it's about to pay off. Yeah, it it seems like it seems like that would be beneficial for some people and that would leak out. Yeah, you didn't have to lie about all this. But they did. But they did. And 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 the lie is, hey, your people aren't alive, they're dead. Like the worst lie you can do because I can come back to haunt you. Well, okay, when the when the, when the spaceship folded, they yeah. lost communication with it, right? Right. Maybe they thought it was destroyed. So then how could they turn around and tell the people this one thing that we thought was going to protect us in case these aliens showed up is gone? So we, we gave thought to that, right? We were thinking that that senator who tells Global to get off the ship, because we don't see him again in Macross Island, that he bugged out of there on a helicopter, right? And then we have the, the fact that Earth was trying to ping the SDF-1 that eventually got through once the the Zentradi let down their their jamming, and they got messages back and forth to each other. But that was a few months later, right? That 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 was that was. So I don't know if the initial thing was uh, okay. So I don't know if they knew initially because my question was when the attack happened. Do they assume when the fold happened? Do they did they assume that? the SDF-1 and everybody on Macross Island had been destroyed? I think they did. Okay. I, okay. Think, I think that they did, So they, and they planted this story, and then when the ship finally makes contact, they're like, oh, good, but uh, they couldn't just start telling people, hey, remember that thing we've been working on for the last 10 years? Yeah, it went up in smoke in about five minutes, trying to lift off. Yeah. Yeah. And blamed it on a, a terrorist group. Anyway. <laughs> so he goes on to explain there's going to be a riot if they can't unload the civilians. And he's told the typical military response, that's your issue. Yeah. So he's ordered, he's literally ordered at this point to lure the aliens away from Earth with the SDF-1 with the 70,000 survivors on board because... Uh, they need time to build up their defenses and increase their knowledge about robotechnology. And if the aliens are so interested in our culture, as they say they are in the report, well, the ship should give them more than enough. And, and be enticing enough for the, the aliens to go after, right? Yeah. That is brutal. Yeah. That's, so Lisa makes a plea to her father, who chastises her for not using his rank. And then, so Global asks, well, what if the aliens choose to attack Earth? And I think it's Hayes that turns around and says, your own reports show that this is not likely to happen. Yeah, and, and they feel pretty comfortable with their cannon uh, in the event of that happening. So finally, they say they'll receive further orders in the morning, and they promptly cut them off. And Lisa and Global leave. So Global asks if uh, Lisa wants to spend some time with her father, which she does not. And Global has that very, like, I understand, my dear. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I just like the way he says it. Yeah, like a soothing kind of, uh, yeah, I get it. So back to the Golden Dragon. Kyle's telling the family they should let Min May go. Yeah. And, and then says, well, I'm, I'm going to go with her and I'll watch over her. Hey, I'm just thinking it's so funny that they did a they did a child swap basically. <laughs> Lynn Kyle living with them, 
Lin-Min May living with uh, Max and Lena. Yeah. So then we cut back over to Lisa, who is opening a letter handed to her by one of her father's aides. Uh, so it's a letter from her father, and it explains that his decision was unavoidable, but asks her to understand the circumstances, and also notes that he's trying to get her reassigned to another ship, um, one that's less dangerous. Which she will have none of it at that point. She starts to rip up the letter. Yeah, so... Is she ripping up the letter because of his half-hearted apology or because he's saying, I'm trying to protect you. I want you on another ship. I think both. I, th- I think that's why she doesn't even finish the letter. Yeah. Yeah. Family's tough, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we skip right over. Rick, Min, Min and Kyle are on their way back. Yes. How? Who the hell authorized Kyle to come on this to come back? Not a single person. It, well, Kyle authorized <laughs> Kyle to come back. Wouldn't that be a problem? You would imagine, but I don't think anybody's looking at this point. But, but when he lands, like, don't you, like, doesn't someone say, "Wait a minute, how come three but, people just got out of that?" That's plane? what I mean. I, I don't think anybody. You know, you have a, a deck officer and a manager. Barring, so let's just say Min, Min, Min Mace talked Rick into bringing him back. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's whether they've told other people in the ship or not that someone's coming back. That's what's happening here. And she's sitting there on his lap and then she's starting to go into um, how she'd be jealous if he has a girlfriend. Right. Okay. Right. And, she, and very flirty, very teasy. You don't describe somebody as. A big brother, <laughs> and then have a flirty relationship with them. It is weird. Like I know Min May ends it with like, "Oh, I'm just kidding," and all that. But even saying "I'm just kidding" is a flirty thing. And well, and he kind of reciprocates it because his question is a loaded question. When he's like, "Well, what would you have me do?" You know, right. stay, stay single forever. Yeah. You know what she, or, or at least at the very, at the very least, you get what she's hinting at. Yeah, it, it's a bit, it's a bit much, man. It's a bit much, and I could see how Rick would be getting like weirded out and pissed off in the front seat. I, what was your initial response? For, for for me back then, it just made me think that Kyle was was a bad guy in this. You know, this was, oh. this, was this was another. Um, what do you call it? Obstacle in in Rick's road. Yeah, and yeah, th- this does make me feel bad for Rick. He is dying. Yeah, so he tells them, "Hey, can you guys quiet down?" And what infuriatingly is Min May laughs and says, "He's always joking like that." I know that is infuriating. You know, when someone writes you, when someone tells someone else not to worry about it, you know, it, it, it castrates you in a way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that was brutal. And so he has to turn around and say, I assure you, I'm not joking. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what I would think if I were Rick. Oh, wow. If she's like that with her cousin... She's just flirty with everybody. 
Like, I've completely misread this whole relationship. To quote one of the greatest 90, well, one of the best bands in the world, but especially in the 90s when they came out, the love I thought I'd won, you give for free. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, wow. some, so something along those lines, of, which, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. If she's like this with her cousin, then none of this was, was special. Yeah. And then we get to the narrator, right? Man, narrator had a big part in this whole thing, didn't he? He did. And, and I have to assume it's because there wasn't a whole lot otherwise. So what does the narrator tell us at the end? Yeah, the, 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 the narrator's saying um, two, oh, geez, what is it? Two very different parties are returning back to the SDF one, and they are reluctant about how they're going to communicate what they've learned to the ship. Right. Gotcha. So that's it. That's the end of the episode. Paul, what do you rank this episode? Okay. So I have to give it two different rankings, okay? Ooh, okay. Okay. One, because storytelling, okay? There has to be these type of parts in in any kind of story to make the exciting parts exciting. Sure. It's building blocks, you know? And so... As a storytelling episode, you know, I give it a strong 8.5 because because it's building the foundation of everything that's going to happen. You know, we find out that what the the, the civilian, what Earth has been told about what's been going on, you know. Right, right. We find out that the United Earth government, is they're ready for, or they think they're ready for war. We find out about the Grand Canon, you know, that plays a big part later on. Yeah. Um. So there are little pieces out there that 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 are great for the, that are essential for the story. Uh huh. Okay, but the episode dragged. It 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 switched way too often. Yeah. There was nothing that that really you know because it it had to hit too much in too little of time. Right. And but thank God it didn't take all the time it needed to hit all those parts because I just couldn't stand it back then. <laughs> So ranking wise, as far as favorite episodes of Robotech, man, I'm giving it a six point five. Okay, all right. And your uh, MVP, if there is one. Oh man, I didn't think about an MVP. So episode goes on. Hmm. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going with Global. It's good MVP. Why Global? Because his his insight is. On display, you know, where he's, hey, like, this isn't going to go well, you know, but but he still tries. And the way that he deals with, with, the, with the, the government, like, he did all he could, you know? Yes. It's a fair rating and a fair MVP. What about you? What do you all give right. a rating? All right. So kind of going off of what you were saying or, or the way you were saying it, I, I started this episode at a three in terms of my rating. Mm-hmm. Three out of ten Veritex. You add on that you learn what Earth has been told, I'll give it a point. You learn about the great grand canon, I'll I'll give it another point. Um and then the introduction of uh Lynn Kyle, I'll give it one more point. So I'm gonna give it a, a six. I'm gonna give it a flat six, not a solid six, I'm gonna give it a flat six. 
Uh, this is the longest short episode ever. <laughs> I, I just... Yes. I did not care for it. Not only emotionally, but, you know, I think we've kind of worked through in this that it was a bit of a bummer episode. And and my MVP is going to go to Global because he knew going in that it was going to be a tough fight with the council, and he knew when to stop. So just for me, he has all the earmarks of a good leader. I I almost want to knock a point off for the underdevelopment of, of Claudia and Roy. Why even include it if you're not going to give us anything? Um, all you're telling us is that they're engaged, which you'd never told us before. But anyhow. So maybe that was the point, you know? That was the, the part of it, was to tell us that they were engaged. It yeah. seems like they blew over it real quick. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. A soft six and uh, global is both of our MVPs. So that's the end of this episode. Guys, um, thank you again for listening. We're sorry we haven't put this out, but life gets in the way. Uh, we're, you know, we're going to do our best. Um, the one thing that's great, that in our dark times, and, and by dark I just mean times when we're not recording, um, the one thing that really gets me up out of bed and, and goes like, let's let's do a podcast is how great the the fandom of Robotech is and then also how great our listeners are. They have been absolutely fantastic and we really appreciate it. Interacting with, with everyone that we have has been wonderful and we'd love to interact more. So if you've got something to say, something on your mind, post it up. I think we reply pretty quickly. Thank you guys for listening. Hey everybody, stay safe. 